You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Well, good morning again. Uh, if, in case I forgot to introduce myself, hey, my, my name is Chris. For those of you who are new here, I'm the pastor here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there with me. Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be diving through the text that Hunter just read. Uh, if this is your first time or first couple of times, you're a guest of ours. Thank you so much for coming to church this morning. Uh, on your way out in the lobby, we have a connection desk. We would love for you to swing by there. We have a gift uh, for you. Um, just say thanks for coming to church with us this morning. Uh, at this exact moment, I realize that I have a pink cup, so no judgment. Uh, but uh, let's, let's dive into this text. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a conversation with someone on the phone? Um, maybe it was through some sort of chat messaging for maybe a lengthened period of time. Maybe it was several different conversations that you've never met in person. So think about somebody that you've had maybe phone conversations with or messaging or emails, and you've never actually seen them in person. Uh, if you're like me, what you've done in those moments is you've tried to imagine what they look like. Right? You started building this picture of who they are. You hear their voice, you go, okay, it's a guy, it's a girl. You know, oh, they've got brown hair. They're thinner, they're heavier, they're tall, they're short. They played sports when they grew up, right? All these, like you're giving this person characteristics, and you're, you're painting this picture. And then what's fun is when you get to meet this person, what happens? They look nothing like what you imagined, right? Like, I'm never right. I, I meet this person, I'm going, oh, you're, you're, you're not even a guy. I thought you were a guy. You're a girl. Like, you have a deep voice. Okay, cool. Like, you're, we're going through all these different things. And that wasn't like a 2023 joke. That was legit. But <laughs> we, we just miss the characteristics sometimes. We, we thought we had them pegged, and we didn't. Today's text is going to reveal some of those human faults in us as we try to picture God, right? We, we, we don't, most of us, all of us, I would imagine, have never seen God. We didn't walk with Jesus. We didn't, we didn't get to see him on this earth. And so when we picture God, we come up with all these different types of pictures. Throughout history, people have done this. I have a picture of like a Jesus collage, right? We, we've come up with all of these different types of pictures throughout the centuries, trying to explain the physical characteristics of Jesus. And, and, and we do this because we want an image. We want something in our mind to go, this is who God is. This is what he looks like. This is all of the characteristics that he would have. Now, this is a very physical thing that we do, but don't we do the same thing with his character? Right? We, we try to imagine the character of God almost in a physical form. A big word for this would be called anthropomorphism. And we, what we do is we, we take this idea of, okay, this is who God is, and we try to put it in the human characteristics and the human understandings that we would have. And we say, this is exactly who God is. And we look at images like this because when we go to Colossians, it says that Jesus is what? He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. And so we put all of these images 
of God out there. And we say, this is exactly who Jesus is. But why exactly do we do that? Just because we want an image? Is there something deeper to this idea? And I think in some ways it's because it's hard to believe, it's hard to trust in something that we can't see. And this is where the belief and the faith and the the struggle comes sometimes with God. I love the old Billy Graham quote that talks about the wind, right? I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind. Because I've seen the effects of the wind, I can now trust in the wind. So even if we don't have this physical picture of God walking beside us today, Lord willing, if you're a believer in this room, you've seen the effects of God, right? You have seen him firsthand in your life and maybe in somebody else's life. Maybe you even heard somewhat of an audible voice and and you've had a real close up front connection with the living God. Sometimes we haven't and so we We try to create this understanding of who God is, and through that, what we can do is we can create false idols, false images of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes, lean into this, your theology is really bad. Meaning your understanding, your knowledge of who God is, is a little bit bent. Sometimes it's based on what we want. Right? We, we try to picture a God who would do this because we would think this is the good thing. I've taken guys through serious leadership groups over the last couple of years. That's what we call it. And they're reading books that are like this high off the ground, the stack. And, and going into it, they're going, I'm not a reader. I don't know much, blah, blah, blah. And afterwards, they're going, wow, they have this massive picture of who God is. And there's moments throughout this leadership course where they're going, man, I thought this about God for so many years, but now as I've read the scriptures, and I've read them, and how they correlate with each other, and I've built what's called a systematic theology from Genesis to Revelation of who God is, I no longer see him like this, but now all of a sudden I see a much grander picture, and what was once reality to me is now no longer reality. Sometimes it's based off of personal preferences. We build this picture of God. Oh, man, he would never allow anyone to go to hell. What kind of love is that? A love that you don't understand. Because he allows you to choose it. Maybe it's based off of false teaching. Maybe you were raised in the church, or maybe you've had a mentor or a pastor or somebody who, who, who led you down a road that was just not biblical. It wasn't sound doctrine. And so you come to this place of going, yeah, my theology of Jesus is this. This is who Jesus is. And the reality is that is not at all who Jesus is. Yeah, in name only, that is who Jesus is. And you might be sitting there this morning going, why is it a, an important picture? Why, why is it important to have this picture of, of God and who he is? Maybe you say, man, if I believe in Jesus, isn't that enough? And the short answer is no. Just a simple belief in Jesus is not enough. Do you know why? Muslims believe in Jesus. Not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a devout Muslim 
for about an hour, we talked about the gospel. I presented the gospel to him. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we went through cover to cover, it felt like, in that brief hour. And about every time I got to Jesus, he was like, yeah, Jesus is a great man. I believe in that. I, you know, yes, he did healings. He did all these amazing things. But every time I'd get him to, to look and notice that there was no Muhammad, and this idea of Allah is not, not true. There was a rub. But he believed in Jesus. What does Scripture say about demons? Demons believed in Jesus. So is it enough to just have a belief in Jesus? The answer is no. Ah, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying, Chris. But, like, I know he's the Messiah, so that, that's, like, enough. Okay. What is he the Messiah of? How do you come to faith in him? Who can come to faith in him? Anybody? Some people? Are, are there certain things in our life that would keep him from him? Can, can we give our life to him, but then live proverbially, however the H-E double hockey sticks we want to, right? Can, can we just, yep, I got my fire insurance. Cool. I believe in Jesus. Is that what he says? Is that what this picture of Jesus in the Bible is and what he does? No. There's, there's, a, there's a way to follow him. So how do we gain a greater picture of God's character? Like when we dive into this text, which I'll be honest, it's, it's a tough text. I don't know if you've ever just like read this in your quiet time. This Luke 7 passage is a very difficult passage to understand. Of like what does this mean for us today? So when we get to this passage and we see this interaction between John and then Jesus with some Pharisees and there's a lot of crazy statements and affirmations made about John, but then ultimately he lands on this verse that talks about wisdom. How can we have this wisdom? How, how can we believe in Jesus and affirm that Jesus is the correct Jesus? How can we live lives in light of the truth, and the truth of the gospel? So I want to do really quickly is I want to unpack this text, this text that really prompts this question of how can we have a firm, true belief in Jesus, and then I want to quickly answer it. So Luke chapter 7, verse 24, he already read it. I'm going to walk through it really quickly. So what you have prior to this text, last week we talked about it, uh, and the, the first part of this, this kind of pericope, this, this, this scene, John the Baptist is in jail. And so he's been arrested by, by Herod Antipas, and he's found himself not only in jail, but he is on the executioner's block, like it is coming. And so his world is shrinking. Stress and anxiety are high. They have come into his life, and he begins to doubt Jesus. Why does he begin to doubt Jesus? Well, here's John the Baptist who has come in. He baptized Jesus. He's seen miracles and signs and wonders, and he's now heard of even more signs and wonders. Jesus has healed the centurion's servant. He's raised someone from the dead, and yet John goes, man, are you actually the Messiah or what? Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a whole lot of people raised from the dead, and I haven't seen servants heal from far off land. So when I see that question, I go, John, are you crazy? This dude is doing exactly what he said he was going to do, but John has a memory. John remembers back to that moment where Jesus walks into the synagogue. He opens Isaiah's scroll, and he reads from Isaiah's scroll, and at the end of it, he says, on this day, this word is now true. 
This has come to fulfillment. And what does he say in there? He says that he has come to proclaim, heal, and liberate. And so from John's perspective, he's seeing proclamation. Jesus is definitely out there doing it. He's heard about healings. But you know what he hasn't seen and what he's not experiencing? Liberation. And he's feeling like literally the, the jail walls are getting smaller. And so he's going, dude, I need you to rescue me in some senses. Like, are you the Jesus who rescues me from my prison cells? And in the interaction, what does Jesus do? He doesn't actually answer the guard, the people that John has sent with answers. What does he do? He serves. He loves. And he affirms in John that I am who I said I am. And that is where we pick up in this verse 24. The messengers have just gone out. And Jesus begins to speak to the crowds concerning this John who had doubts. And what he does is he begins to describe the unique ministry and the unique calling of John the Baptist. And I don't want to bore you and I don't want to go into this too deeply, but there's a lot of stuff here. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to link John the Baptist with a guy named Elijah. If you read this same um, story, the same history moment in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew actually records a word that Luke doesn't, where Jesus is comparing and saying that John is the new Elijah. And then if you go to Luke chapter 1, when it pre-tells John's birth, what does Luke say? Luke says that this is the new Elijah. So Elijah was this amazing prophet back in the day. I think we even have a, a picture of the, the area in which he kind of helped deliver. So he, he helped deliver the northern tribe of Israel. And so you can see how it was split in the Old Testament, north, south, Judah, Israel. And what Elijah did is he came in and he was the main prophet that helped lead the people of God out of idolatry of Baal. And Elijah, the unique thing about Elijah that every Jew would have remembered and that most Christians know now is that Elijah didn't just die an earthly death. What did he do? He was ascended into heaven. The scripture says he was taken up into a, a whirlwind into heavens. And so everyone looked at Elijah like this big, powerful, amazing prophet. And then what does Jesus come in and say about John? He's better. He's better than Elijah. And so everyone in that day, everyone in that moment who knew the scripture, who understand what's happening, they're going, what do you mean he's better? Elijah's like, I mean, this dude didn't even die. He ascended into heaven at the work of God. And so how exactly is John this special of a person? And Jesus goes in and after this whole thing over the next several verses and says he is. You need to believe me. You need to trust me. And if you go through the scriptures, you'll see it. And in many ways, what Jesus is showing to us, kind of like what we talked about last week, is that even the greatest can have doubts. Even the greatest followers can have doubts. And so I, I just want to speak that over you. Because if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you have probably walked through doubts. And then you probably felt guilty about it, and then you probably felt like, ah, oh, I, I shouldn't have doubts. I can't have doubts. I can't talk about this with other believers because they don't have doubts. Maybe I'm just the one and I'm never going to get into heaven. How do I know I'm actually saved? Oh my gosh, I'm having a panic attack, right? And what you see in this text is that even the greatest of prophets had doubts. And what does Jesus do as soon as he learns of these doubts? He affirms them through love and through service. He doesn't condemn John. 
Matter of fact, he, he turns from a situation of actually lifting up John and then looks at this group of religious leaders and says, man, John is an amazing guy. I want you to know that if you're in Christ and you have struggles and doubts, your God loves you the same on that day as he did the day when he called you and you said yes. You don't have to run from him in your doubts. He's bigger than your struggles. So run to him in those times of need. And when you run to him, pray for grace. Certainly, we need to repent. God, help me believe in my unbelief. And then what do we do? We serve as Jesus served. You've been adopted as his family. You don't get kicked out of that. You're, you're family. And then you serve because Jesus served. And then after verse 28, really midway verse 28, slip, skip down there with me. Jesus kind of shifts the focus. So in the beginning part of verse 28, it says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. This is, that, this is that moment he's referring back to John's prophet calling, prophetic calling. He's saying John is an amazing person. And then he throws this, this other sentence in on the last half. It would make most of us in our quiet times go, squeeze me, baking powder, what did you just say? I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is even greater than than he. And you go, hold on, you tell me John's not in the kingdom of God? And that's not what he's saying. He's not pointing to this idea. Really what he's pointing to is the same thing he says in different places. Matthew 19, 30, he, he says this specifically. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In so many ways, what he's, he's doing is he's drawing Jesus is going to draw attention to those who think they follow God, but they actually can't see him right in front of him. And so when, when he's referencing John, what he's saying is in his prophetic calling, he is amazing. He's, he's a solid, you go to John 3, person born of water. And if you don't know John 3, you can read it later, but he says people born of, of water are born of water, people born of spirit, there's something different. And we'll hit that in a minute, but... He's saying John is a great man among men. But there's something special about those who are in the kingdom. And he's not saying that John's not in the kingdom. What he's saying when he's giving John all these um, compliments is he's not talking about his familial relationship in the kingdom. He's just talking about how he served out his prophetic nature. And so then he shifts to all of us. And he shifts specifically in that statement to talk about the first will be last and the last will be first. He shifts to these really pious really scripturally well-known, mostly men, who would have been going, I know the Bible front and back, right? I know the Torah, every single word. I've gone through this ritual. I've done this thing. And yet I don't recognize anything that you're doing. And this is how Jesus shifts. He basically makes this statement that some will not recognize the spiritual reality because they are spiritually dead. Each of us needs to ask for a new heart and new eyes. This is what Jesus is pointing us to. He's going to draw this attention that these people who are around him think they see spiritual things. But God 
is standing directly in front of them and they don't see him. And so what he's looking at them and saying is those who are born of spirit are born of the spirit. And those who are born of the water don't even see the spirit. Because God is standing in front of you and you have hardened your heart to him. How do we get to this understanding? How do we, how do we see this in the scriptures? So when he says in verse 28, yet, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It goes to verse 29 and Luke is keying us in here. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. So th- th- this is those people who would have been listening to the baptism of John, is what he says, what, what he says right there, the end of 29. But, but, in verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, those who have not been baptized by John, meaning this baptism of repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah, they rejected. And then Jesus looks at them. To, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? These hard-hearted, religious, church folks that think they know everything. They are like children in the marketplace, calling to another. Ah, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. I love the way Eugene Peterson says this in the message. I don't quote him often, but he, he, he kind of paraphrases it like this. How can I account for the people of this generation? They're like spoiled children complaining to their parents. We wanted to skip rope, and you're always too tired. We wanted to talk to you, but you were always too busy. John the baptizer came fasting, and you called him crazy. The Son of Man came feasting, and you called him a boozer. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And so what Jesus is going to look at these religious people and say is that when the people of spirit come before you, John the Baptist, who's functioning because I've called him to function in this way, and he's done nothing wrong, right? He observed even the greater of the law as best as he could. It says that he had no drinking. He was actually a Nazarite, if you look in the text back in Back in the early part of the gospel, you can compare him to, uh, you know, all of the great Nazarites throughout Scripture. But this is who John was. He followed Jesus and the Lord well, and yet they looked at him and said, ah, he's got a demon. And then here's Jesus, who's never sinned, but he hangs out with sinners. And what do they call Jesus? A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. How could you ever do that? How could you do these things? And he looks at them, and this is the the last sentence that makes all of this come together. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The New Living Translation says it like this, but wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In so many ways, what Jesus is unpacking to this group of religious people who are doubting this physical picture of God that they're seeing. They're they're going, "I, I had a picture of God. I have one in my mind. And you're not it. And Jesus is saying, but I am. And you don't see it. So how can we prevent ourselves from being like these Pharisees? The question, I guess, in another way is, how do I know if I'm following the true Jesus? 
How do I know if I'm following the true Jesus? When he gets to this idea of the wisdom, he gives us a picture that we can take that question or that statement and we can find a thread of that throughout the rest of the scriptures. And we can go, okay, how, do we, how would we know if we are actually indeed following Jesus? How can, how can we prove it, not to the outside world, but to ourselves? Because in many ways what he's saying is that the unwise wouldn't recognize the wisdom that was right in front of them. And so if this wisdom is here, then everyone who is the child of wisdom would recognize this wisdom. And so if God the Father is standing in front of you, remember, what is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. So if God is standing in front of us and we don't recognize him, why not? Because we're not his children. But if we are his children, we would recognize him. So how do we know if we're his child? Obviously, you've had to Before I get to the first one, these next three points that I'm going to give you assume that you've already understood repentance and faith. It's the idea that you recognize that you're a sinner, you're separated from God, and you put your faith into him because there was no other way to heaven. You couldn't work hard enough. You couldn't try to be good enough. You're a sinner. And in that sin, you're dead. What do spiritually dead people see? Nothing. And so in order to see the life of Jesus, the spiritual breath of who he is, we have to be made new again. So we have to repent and believe. Once we've done that, if you're a follower and you're going, how do I know that I'm actually a true follower? And you've struggled with doubt and you've struggled with these things. Here's three steps you can take. The first one, do you deny yourself? Do you deny yourself? Jesus says... And and the apostles say over and over again throughout scriptures, deny yourself, take up your cross. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. Is that something that you do on a regular basis? Is it something that you have to work hard at doing? Sure. But is it something that you're concentrated on? And when you stumble, do you have remorse, regret, conviction? If those things are not present, then I would say you do not deny yourself. Now, that's not to say that we we don't have guilty pleasures or or we don't do things that sometimes uh, that are are wrong. It's to say that when we do the wrong thing, we still feel guilty about it. You know what I'm saying? Because I do the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do them. So the first way for us to know if we're in Christ, if we believe in Jesus is number one, do you deny yourself? And the second thing is, do we choose the kingdom over the world? It goes back to our kind of mission statement here. Do you love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom before you ever look to invest in this world? And this is a pendulum, right? If, if there's moments in our life where we choose the comforts of this world over others, that doesn't mean that you're not in Christ. It means that you're human. But the question would be for you, inwardly speaking, trying to answer this to yourself, is do you readily, often choose this world over the kingdom of God? Because what God would say is, as his child, you choose him, and you choose his kingdom. 
or at least your intentions and desires are to do, do so more often than not. Again, it's not this picture of are you absolutely 100% living this life because guess what? You can't, right? Only Jesus could. That's why it's so good. Because if you could do it, why do you need Jesus? You can't do it. He did it. So rest in that truth that he has won it all. But when you rest in that truth, do you just leave that truth beside and live your life? Or are you functioning in the identity that he's now given you as a follower of Jesus? And saying, oh man, I'm, I'm going to seek after him in all that I have. Yes, I'm going to have disciplines. And discipline's not easy. It's not always fun. There's work in disciplines. But do I enjoy those disciplines? Do I enjoy the fruit? And that leads us to the third one. Where there is fruit, there is a root. Have you ever had a conversation or a relationship with someone who said they were one thing, but you didn't ever see it. I have a group of buddies. Uh, they love to make fun of each other. I should say we love to make fun of each other. It's just kind of how we live, especially around sports season. Some of them love a football team that is terrible. It's not a good team, right? I'm not going to say them. Say who it is. Y'all can, you know, debate over that over lunch, but they, they support this team whether they are really good or whether they are really bad. That's a real follower. That's somebody who I would say has fruit. They wear the gear of this team even when the team is dreadful, right? This team is awful. They are losing to teams that are not even in the same division. They have had coaching turnover. They have had player turnover. They have had scandal. They stink, and yet this cat is wearing their stuff. That dude is all in, right? Then there's other Georgia fans in the world <laughs> that, man, and when Georgia's winning, like the last two, three years, go dogs, right? But in them 90s, they weren't saying a whole lot of that, were they? Right? Mark Rick's like 75th year. They're like, well, we need time to move on, Mark Rick. You know, it's time. But outside of that, we're not talking about it at all, right? There's, there's those types of fans that, man, they're all in it, whether that team is O and whatever, and whether they're 100 and whatever, they're all in. But then there's others who are just bandwagon people. And you can tell a bandwagon person because of the fruit, right? They never talk about the, the sport. They never talk about the team. They never talk about any of that. And it's the same with Jesus for you. You're a Christ follower, but I've hung out with you 50 times. And you've never mentioned Jesus. You've never talked about what he does in your life. You've never prayed. You, you, you rarely do the things that point to a relationship with God. Look, it is not my job or anybody else's job in this world to tell you whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not. But if you don't talk about the things of God, do you know God? I mean, like, here is someone who has saved your life, supposedly, death, life, gave you abundant life today, here and now, gave you purpose, mission, Gave you a family, but you can't ever talk about him. Maybe your fruit's not connected to a root. And maybe you're, you're, you're wanting to do this thing, or maybe there's social implications in your life. You feel like you have to, or something you've always done. And so you find yourself going, I don't really deny myself. I choose the world over the kingdom a lot. And I, I'm not sure about any fruit. Let me tell you, it's okay. It's okay if you find yourself there. Because if you do find yourself there, 
I would say that that's a great step because you can now be pointed to him. The hard part is if we're in this thing, we, we say following after Jesus, we're like these Pharisees where we think we know this picture of God, we think we know what he looks like, but we don't ever ask these questions or answer them truthfully to ourselves. You have nothing to prove to anybody else in this world. Truth is, you have nothing to prove to God because he's already, already proven your worth in his death. That you're worth it. That he loves you. As broken and as messed up as you are, broken as messed up as I am, you don't have to run from doubt. You don't have to bury this thing of like, I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know if I'm born of spirit of water. Pray for grace. Repent and follow. You could be one of the people getting baptized next week. Like if you're sitting here going, man, I've gone to church for 60 years. I just don't know. Begin to have those conversations with yourself. Begin to reach out to the Lord. Look, he says if you knock, he will answer. It's a knock. It's not the end of the world if you're sitting here going, man, I just don't know. Sometimes we get to that place of I just don't know, and really what it is, is it's, it's Satan trying to whisper something in your ear, trying to give you some doubt. And let me affirm you, brother or sister in Christ. Ask those three questions. Seek them. Maybe seek the counsel of another brother or sister who really loves you and knows you. And say, hey, do you see this in me? I can remember when I, when I was training to be a pastor. I was working with the church, and I was going through all the seminary and all the schooling, and we got to this text of, you know, what is, the, what is an overseer, an elder? And if you've ever read Timothy or Titus and those qualifications of being elder, they are weighty stuff. It is heavy. And I looked at a group of guys in my life, and I said, do you think that I fit those qualifications? I asked my wife. I, don't, I didn't like her answer. Do you think I fit those qualifications? And there was one word in there that I struggled with. And I, if I'm honest, I still struggle with. It's really a phrase. It says to be holy. I'm not. But he, and the more he can become more, the more holy that this vessel is. Conversations and seek God. Pray for grace. Repent. And follow Him. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that there's many in this room that will respond to your word, respond to your truth, respond to who you are today. That if there's some that have been struggling with doubt of their own personal walk, I, I just pray that God, through your sovereign hand, that you'll reveal yourself to them, that you'll reveal whether they are in you or they are not. And God, I, I thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit through that process, that through either account, that you will be glorified and they will repent and believe, that they'll follow you in all of their days. I, I pray that we'll have sound theology, that we, we will have a belief in you that is based on cover to cover, not just our ideals and our wants and our desires, 
because the desires of our heart can be deceitful, but God, through your word, with the preaching and the proclamation of your word, change us. Help us to be like a tree planted by water. Being renewed every single day. God, call us to love you, love others, and invest in your kingdom. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Y'all, let's stand up and worship together. Praise to glorify God.
seated really quickly I uh, want to make two announcements uh, the first one hey uh, family gathering right after church today uh, if you have a seat at the table or you're you know kind of been visiting with us or you're just here to hang out with us on a Sunday you're welcome to enjoy this with us we've got kind of potluck style we should have plenty of food uh, so you can make your way out those double doors down the hallway and uh, into the gym We'll eat there afterwards. We'll just hang out for a few minutes. Uh, we'll have a packet for all of those who have a seat at the table. Just kind of saying, hey, here's the life of the church. Here's some of the business stuff. Uh, we won't bore you with that too long. I promise it'll just be a quick lunch. This is a great time, by the way, to live out this identity of family, to connect with other people. Uh, and so if you've had a seat here for a long time and you, you're a longtime member, I would encourage you to find some in the room you don't know. Right? Don't just go to that click you always know and go, hey, Joe, I know you for 50 years, right? Find Joe that you don't know for 50 years and go, hey, tell me your name, Joe. Just kidding. Um, if you're new here, this will be a great opportunity to meet others. And so family gathering right after church. Uh, last thing, quit playing your guitar, pretty boy. So this guy right here, um, he's been on staff next Friday for three years. Y'all give it up for Hunter. And... Uh, Hunter, let me just give you, for those of you who don't know Hunter's backstory, Hunter came to us, was it, was it like March, like the end of March, COVID 2020? Yeah. So like we were doing drive-in services, so we were out in the parking lot. Hunter's first day, I think he was signed up to play electric guitar, and our drummer caught the COVIDs, um, and uh, who knew, this cat plays the drums too. And so he was like, I can play on the drums, and I'm looking, I'm like, nah. Like he's going to be like, like, you can play him, but he can play them. He can play them very well. Uh, matter of fact, he can play everything up here very well. And uh, he stepped in as a servant, what, five, six months later, started as our worship and creative arts director. So I just messaged several people on your team um, and teams that you lead and people you have connection with and said, hey, we're, we're going to recognize Hunter. And so we, th we all came up with a gift to give you, you and Megan. So we want to say thank you, brother. We love you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure serving with you. Y'all make sure you thank Hunter for all that he does around here. Uh, little things that you don't know. This morning at 645, we get in here and the projector just decides to not work. And so uh, we set up a scaffolding and got up there and, you know, figured out that we don't know what we're doing. And uh, just kidding. Uh, and so then we had to, like, run TVs on the stage and just all that. And then you have to do rehearsal and you have baptism and, and just and you did it all in stride uh, along with his team and several other people. So. Thank you for what you do and everybody else on your team. I appreciate your leadership in them. Uh, so let's go love God, love people, invest in his kingdom. We'll see you, church. Yeah, man.